you can make a choice tomorrow morning. What are the three words that you want people to associate with you? Now, what are the behaviors that you need to demonstrate to make that happen? Go first, start making a difference and the ripple effect, it will pick up momentum and it will start to infect and transform others too. Welcome to the Seismic Shift podcast. I am so excited to introduce my friend, my colleague, a rock star in her own right, Morag Barrett. And I'm going to read Morag's bio to you all because it is some impressive. Morag is a sought-after executive coach and leadership expert who helps leaders achieve outstanding results through what, you might ask? The power of lasting professional relationships. At last count, Morag and her company, Sky Team, have supported the development of more than 10,000 leaders from over 20 countries and on six continents. She's the award-winning author of three books, Cultivate, The Future-Proof Workplace, and her latest book, which I love and I just read on the airplane last week, You, Me, we, why we all need a friend at work and how to show up as one. She's rec- she's um, globally recognized by Thinkers360 and People Hum as an HR thought leader to watch. Welcome, Morag Barrett. Thank you for being here. Whoop, 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 Michelle. I'm so excited for our conversation. It's going to be fun. It's going to be super fun. So since this is the Seismic Shift podcast, and I'm all about seismic shifts, I'm so curious. You're a global thought leader. You're a leadership expert. You're out there making keynote speeches all the time, leading leaders in leadership development programs. I just used the word leader three times in one sentence. Um, tell (laughs) Tell me what seismic shifts you're seeing right now. Oh, I was going back even further. I was thinking, oh, good grief. Does she mean the earth is moving and it's tilting? But I just think about in my own career, which has been a lifetime. And I remember when I joined the bank, I was a pillar of the community at one point, Michelle, but I joined the bank and in the UK. And I remember then it was very much a very traditional buttoned up suit and tie type environment. It was hierarchical, length of service, leave your emotions at the door. It's not personal. It's just business. And I remember being told that in the early part of my career. And the seismic shift for me, which I think has accelerated in the last five years, is the fact that there is a recognition that there is no such thing as work and life or life. It is life of which work is a part which means that the conversations around how we show up, how do we be the best leader that we can, letting our emotions actually show through is the biggest shift that I've seen throughout my whole career. And I am grateful for it because I think we are all better when we can bring essentially our human to work. Oh my gosh, I love it. And as I was reading your book on the airplane, one of the things that you said was, and and now I'm talking about it all the time, because you and I speak the same language. We're so aligned in our missions and what we're trying to do is, is you called it radical humanity, Mm -hmm. radical humanity. That is exactly what you and I are both trying to, to coach our leaders to show up as radically human, 
right? Show up as compassionate, show up as a friend, show up as, as, you know, showing that you really are, you have a personal life and it's okay. You don't have to pretend <laughs> that you yeah, don't I mean, have I a spent family. <laughs> so long of my career presenting the professional face with never a crack. I had all my stuff under control and inside all I knew was my little duck feet, my swan feet were uh, paddling away. And here's the thing when we know that to actually say, I don't know, or to ask for help, to show a little vulnerability is actually a sign of strength, then it's empowering. And whilst I don't um, encourage everybody to share everything about their lives or everything that you might be thinking and feeling in the moment, I guarantee we can all share a little more than we think we can. And in doing so, it builds that culture of connection that you talk about, especially in a world of disconnection when we're living through cameras and often working at time and distance. Gosh, you are so right. This morning I went to an event at Loyola and I've been mm -hmm. teaching online ever since the pandemic. And it was glorious to be around real live human beings and to feel that energy. It was just palpable and to have a purpose and a mission and we're all in it together and we all rise together. And I looked around and I realized I do have friends at work. I just never see them. <laughs> Well, so that's the thing. I mean, those feelings that you talked about there, we took it for granted that it would happen in 3D when we were working in the office. And let's let's be honest, it did, but it also didn't. There's research I've been quoting from McKinsey that says that 55% of employees would describe their boss as mildly or highly toxic. And 76% would say that interacting with their boss is the most stressful part of their day. Now, that's bad enough when it happens in person and you can see the whites of each other's eyes. But think about how that disconnect and tension increases when we're doing it in two dimensions through the camera. And so everything that you and I are doing in our research and our work is all about how do we create a, a culture of connection a sense of belonging in a world that is essentially disconnected because the Zoom camera, the Teams, the Google Hangouts, etc., they give the illusion of connection. I can fake perky through a Zoom meeting for 30 minutes or an hour, hit the big red button and then go, oh, you won't believe what Michelle just asked me to do or what the team's being asked to do. And I go off on my BMW, I call it BMWing, bitching, moaning and whining. But you may never know because we don't have the advantage of the water cooler conversations or seeing each other in the office where you might pick up on your spidey sense and the, hey, Morag, is everything okay? And so those divisions just become bigger when we as leaders, whatever stage of our career, when we're not being intentional about how we show up, when we're not leaning into those relationships and asking ourselves, are we creating energy or are we draining energy in the interactions, whether they're in person or in person and through the camera. I love that. And it reminds me of the first time that I met you at a Thinkers 50 um, gathering. It was because Thinkers 50 was virtual in London and no one I don't think was invited really. It was during the pandemic, but we're in the in the middle of a variant, a COVID variant. And so we could fly and, and you flew from Denver where you live to New York. I flew from New Orleans. And we were in Scott Osmond, who's the CEO of 100 Coaches Agency, and we were in his apartment. 
And with Marshall Goldsmith, who was emceeing, mm-hmm. and you and I sat next to each other, did not know each other, and over brunch, and you were as cool and as real, and I just had this immediate if affinity towards you. I was like, I like this woman. And it beca- it was because I, I wonder, I'm sure I still would have liked you, but if you had been your bank person that you referred to way back when, or if I had shown up as my college professor persona, which I wore for years, um, I, I don't know if we would have, you know, eventually we would have hit it off, but I think we liked each other immediately because we've had to learn just to be ourselves. And I think you've nailed it. I mean, your opening case study in your book where you talk about being the stereotypical professor, barking out orders, grading people hard, whatever, sending them to the equivalent of the principal, whatever happens at university, and me the same, buttoned up. You you would never have known that I have three now six-foot-tall sons or anything about my personal life. We would have been good together. We would have been okay together. But by sharing these nuggets and gems, we get to the magic so much more quickly. And we get there and we build trust. We get curiosity because tell me more about that. And that's what I think is missing in many workplaces and why we see politics silos and turf wars, where my team's better than your team, playing out every every day. But of course, that just slows down the organizational and the team results. And as a result, individual leadership reputations suffer. Gosh, you're so right. I do wish I could go back my younger self when I remember being pregnant in the College of Business and there there had not been one woman, female professor who had birthed a baby in front of people, not not the actual birthing process, but had gone through the pregnancy <laughs> process. In that front might of be people. a bit too much information. <laughs> and I was so self-conscious and so into back then, like being powerful and being perceived as credible that I just pretended I wasn't pregnant. And I look mm-hmm. back and how what a what a sad missed opportunity to not own where I was, you know, and and not own who I was. I'll never forget, and it's in my book, and you probably spit your water out on the airplane as you were flying reading my book. That I remember, I I was lecturing on nonverbal communication, and my, my and I wore heels all the time, and all black or navy pantsuits from Ann Taylor, with my hair severely pulled back and very little makeup, because I wanted to be credible and. My shoe went flying through the air and it was <laughs> yes, a stadium style classroom. And it was like slow motion of the slow roll of the stiletto over wondering, is it going to like knock somebody out? Is it going to put an eye out? Um, and it landed and I was so taken aback of, oh my gosh, I just lost power. I cannot laugh about it. And I can't show that I'm embarrassed. So I'm just going to pretend like it didn't happen. And I just walked over, put my shoe back on and kept lecturing. And again, what a missed opportunity just to add some levity like that. That was hysterical. I'm so glad I didn't knock anybody's eye out and just, you know, and just be human. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I wish I could go back and allow myself, you know, that grace. Well, give yourself the grace now because that was then and we can't go back. But there is the now and then there's the tomorrow. And certainly the research that I've been doing um, in terms of the the books that my team and I have written, the more we know, like, and trust each other, the more fun we have, but the 
more increased collaboration and teamwork. So we break down those politics and silos, turf wars I mentioned, but we also see a direct correlation with happiness and satisfaction, not just with our work and our job, but in life. And that is huge. I mean, there was a, a recent research study put out by um, the, the Surgeon General of the US who was talking about an epidemic of loneliness. You may have seen it. And when we are feeling disconnected, then we get see an in, increase in heart attacks, stress and anxiety. And since we spend most of our time at work, surely it makes sense for us to lean in a little bit and create those friendships and trusting relationships. And to be clear, it doesn't mean that I need to take you home to meet my mother, nor does it mean that we are BFFs and everything's rosy and we never disagree or have tough conversations. In fact, when we have the strongest relationships, what I do see is that candor and debate actually increases. I'm more willing to call BS. I am more willing to give warnings of impending disaster. And at the end of it, even if we duke it out and have our, you know, a tough conversation, the relationship is strengthened, whereas in other situations, the relationship is damaged and each of us reappear next time a little bit more hesitant and filtering. And again, those divisions just get bigger. So everybody wins when we have at least one ally, one friend at work. We see it. Productivity, health and happiness increase. So many things that you just mentioned that uh, I want to comment on. Number one, yes, I think the seismic shift of you have you have to have your professional self on and, and there's a very uh, strict demarcation between work and home. Those days are over. We're a whole person and we have a whole life and, and we can share and, and we're all of those things, right? And so I love that we're now talking and I think Dr. Vivek Murthy as our U.S. Surgeon General is amazing. And I love what he's doing with all the college students. He said three-fourths of college students are unhappy and disconnected. Because they're mm -hmm. defining, you know, friends in a way that's not very rewarding, right? It's how many people are following them um, and commenting. In any case, happy we can be happy um, if we lean into that connection and being that friend. And so when you think about seismic shifts, what prompted you? What made you say, I have to write with your colleagues, Ruby and Eric, I have to write, we have to write, you, me, we. It comes on the heels of my first book, Cultivate. I'll hold it up here. Cultivate the power of winning relationships. Because in my finance career and in my corporate career, I kept seeing finger pointing and blame. Because we can all pretend to be a good colleague. I've got your back, Michelle. Don't worry. When things are going well. But as soon as your project starts to go off track, or maybe you find yourself on the job market looking for that next opportunity, and it can become squirrels. Where are my friends? Where do they help? So in Cultivate, we created what we call the relationship ecosystem and defined four relationship dynamics that we all experience. And my hope is that we all have at least one, what we call ally, a best friend at work. It's unconditional. It's a we first, good days, bad days. I'm there for you. But it's not Little House on the Prairie. It means I'm also going to give you the kick in the pants and give you the feedback you need to hear, not just the feedback you want to hear. 
And then as we go around, there were supporters, fair weather friends. Again, they probably are being nice versus kind, saying, oh, Michelle, you're fine. Yeah, you kicked your shoe off. Nobody noticed, i.e. the feedback you want to hear, not what you needed to hear. Then we get down to the dark side, rivals and adversaries. And there it is all about them. And when it suits their agenda, they're for you. And when it doesn't, they're against you. Adversaries are just toxic and it's like bashing heads every single time. And that book and those concepts had a huge impact. I've seen it transform leader reputations. I've seen it transform team and organizational cultures. And yet we kept being asked, yes, but how do I show up as an ally? And so that was the genesis of You, Me, We. And the subtitle is intentional. You, me, we, why we all need a friend at work and how to show up as one. Because often we will wait for the mysterious they. Well, they need to go first. They need to be nice to me. They need to prove that they're trustworthy. But in my experience, waiting for them to get it when you've already read the book or you know that there are things that need to be changed is usually usually futile. Instead, how do you lean in first? And so I wrote the book with my two best friends at work, Eric Spencer and Ruby Bessely. And as a result, the concepts grew because when you've got three perspectives to share, it becomes richer. And so when you read You, Me, We, you'll find five practices that help us all to be that friend at work, not just for others, but to be that friend at work for ourselves. Oh my gosh, I absolutely love that. And one of the things too, there's so many, so many gems and nuggets and just hearing you talk about this, Morag. One of the things that that I've gotten pushback on is since I talk so much about connection and you talk about relationship, you know, some people see that as soft, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I just did a big workshop for a bunch of um all of the newspaper leaders in the state of Louisiana. And, and we talked about one of the most crucial elements of connection is being able to lean into a difficult conversation with your colleague. And so I'm really glad that you're emphasizing that we're not just talking about kumbaya all the time and just playing nice at work. We're talking about really how to have a substantial relationship, good, bad, and ugly with debate, discourse. And so we, we did role plays on, on difficult conversations and, and how to hold your people accountable. That connection requires accountability. Connection requires difficult leaning into difficult conversations. Connection is not just soft. Connection is hard. And, and one of the, the, uh, it's another 100 coach actually, CB Bowman, who I interviewed also on the Seismic Shift podcast. And she talks about courage. And, and I never looked at connection from that lens before, but it really does take courage to truly lean in and show up. And like you said, be the friend, not just sit there and back, you know, sit back and, and you, you refer to your book a lot, the Gallup organization and that one question, do I have a best friend at work for 20 years? People have been giving them pushback, throw out that question. Why do we need that question? Throw it out. They're like, well, because that's the question that correlates the most with engagement that drives productivity and retention and all of the, the markers you need. And, and so, 
so in any case, I, I just feel like we we need it takes courage to lean in and not just expect there to be a you know a best friend who shows up, but we need to be that ally to others. And I love your ally mindset, and that's beautiful. So okay, so you wrote this book, and now you're out there and you're working with all these companies. What are you seeing as the benefits? So so let's tell the listeners why today they need to start showing up as an ally at work. How are they going to benefit? So think about it. Think about your best boss, your best colleague, the person you would jump at the chance to work with again. And whoever comes to mind as you're listening to this, what made them special? Now, I've asked that question of thousands of leaders around the world. And invariably, what I'll do is I'll get them to convert those ideas, what made these people special onto post-it notes, and then we'll put them onto a poster. And every single time, the results are the same. What makes these uh, people memorable. What makes them the go-to colleague is not necessarily how smart they were, that's table stakes, or even their functional expertise, the technical knowledge that they had. Yeah, you that kind of goes with the the, the, um, the the title again. What makes these people memorable, it is the people skills, the relationship skills, how they made you feel. So for those listening to this conversation, what three words would you hope that others use to describe you? And what words are people using? I mean, if you were to win the Powerball and leave work tomorrow, would there be a, oh, thank goodness they've gone? Or would there be a, oh, we're going to miss working with you before life continues? So what's in it for you is you create a legacy where you are that go-to person that people learn from, aspire to, they want to be on your team. That's the power. I just finished um, a leadership program for a, a healthcare system, and it was for the technology team. So many of my clients are IT, top technology, engineering. Um, I will refer to them as my geeks and nerds because I was a geek and nerd. I loved mathematics and physics and economics at high school. But we, when we started the program, we surveyed their direct reports and we did the equivalent of a net promoter score. And we asked, how likely are you to recommend your immediate boss to others in this organization or to friends and family? As somebody to work for. 55% was that net promoter score. By the end of that program, 74%. Now, that has huge implications. It has huge implications for engagement, for trust, for retention, for hiring, for getting to the magic of solving the difficult issues that they are facing in their industry as they transform their industry. And all of that through the power of connection and bringing their human to work. Gosh, so you, just as a result of this leadership development program, you went from 55% to pretty much 75%. That's mm -hmm. incredible. It is incredible. And so that was my next question. So thank you for answering, you know, what's in it for me, for the listeners, like why should I show up as an ally? Let's talk, or, let's talk about the organizational outcomes and outputs. So number one, you have, you have better bosses. What does having a better boss mm -hmm. do for the organization? Well, we get to candor and debate sooner. We remove the friction that happens within organizational systems because now I'm not worried about, well, I can't tell Michelle this because she's going to shout at me like she shouted at Fred last week or 
I can't tell her this because she's going to think I'm incompetent or whatever. We treat mistakes, for example, as, yeah, to be avoided where possible, but as we're all human, we're going to make them and they're a learning opportunity and we move forward. So as I say, it, re it reduces the friction, it increases information flow. And as a result, the decisions that we get to make are higher quality and we can get to success sooner. And if your team is successful and my team is successful, we are better together. We all rise together. And I hope everyone knows the stat that people don't leave their jobs because of their companies. They leave their jobs because of bad bosses. Yeah. And and it's wild. And, and I would imagine that, that Morag, you might feel this way too, that I have great, I, I talk a lot on podcasts about jerk bosses oh, and yes. I've, I've great empathy for jerk bosses because I, I feel like they're, they're, it's not that they're misunderstood, but I would say the majority of them, they're not evil and they were, they were just trained poorly. You know, they thought, well, this is what my boss did. You know, so I'm going to be command and control because that's what I thought was effective. This is what a boss is supposed to look like and think and act like. And but once they get a 360 and they see the results that they've inadvertently created a culture of fear, which stifles innovation, then that's what gets their attention. They're like, oh, that OK, well, the world has changed under me. And I and I'm either going to fall through the cracks, I'm going to get booted out, or I've got to to switch. I do have to change my behavior. So I do have empathy uh, towards jerk bosses. <laughs> well, I think you nailed it on. You hit the nail on the head there because I have yet to meet a leader who wakes up in the morning and says, "I want to be seen as a jerk boss. I'm going to create a culture of fear today and just see how much I can upset people." Now. I agree. There might be a 0.001% of folks. I've yet to meet them. All of us want to do a good job and feel like we're being set up for success. All of us want to feel like our voice and our opinion matters. Even if you choose not to use it, I want to feel heard. And I want to feel like I belong, that I'm having fun, that I'm looking forward to coming into work, whether that's in the office or into the next Zoom meeting. And if we can get to that, that competence, that um, value and having fun and that sense of belonging, then you reduce the risk of, of jerkness. And you talked about training. Most organizations, unfortunately, are still operating with the school of hard knocks and throwing people in at the deep end. And to your point, when you don't have good role models, you know no different. And that's where the power of the programs that you and I do, whether it's individually with leaders or with teams or with whole organizations, can make a whole difference because now we're giving choice. And being a good leader is a choice, a choice I make every day, a choice I make in every meeting, a choice I make in every interaction. And when I mess it up, like today, I missed a meeting with a client because I run two calendars and I'd forgotten to put it on my main one. I messed up. I owned it. I apologized. We rescheduled. We moved on. And that's the thing. Don't hold back. You can make a choice tomorrow morning. What are the three words that you want people to associate with you? Now, what are the behaviors that you need to demonstrate to make that happen? Go first. Start making a difference and the ripple effect. It will pick up momentum and it will start to inf infect and transform others too. Oh, I love that. You, we do have a choice every single day in how we show up. 
And, you know, you hear lots of leaders. I just want to be the best version of myself. Okay. Well, that starts with as soon as you wake up, what thoughts are going through your head? How do you Mm -hmm. talk to yourself first? And then what energy do you bring into your office environment? What energy do you bring into your Zoom call? Do you embed time to get to know your people before you dive into the agenda? How many people, I'm surprised still to this day, how many leaders I coach that say, Michelle, Michelle, are you really telling me I have to begin with some sort of connection question? And I say, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. But why? I've got an agenda. Okay. Well, you want to drive financial performance. You want to have an innovative culture. Then you've got to show your people, particularly virtually, you got to show them you care about them as full humans. And I think that's one of the seismic shifts that I'm really seeing is that if you as a leader show up fully human and you show your people that you're interested in them as their full selves, and you want to know about what's going on, how was your weekend or what's coming up, then they're going to do more for you. They will. Mm -hmm. You'll get the results. And so you kind of got to go slow in order to go fast. So that's some seismic shift that I've been seeing that I'm so grateful for. We'll end with you. So last two questions for you, Morag. What seismic shift are you working on yourself? And then last, what piece of advice would you give our listeners to be an ally? So the seismic shift that I'm working for myself is all about focus. So in You, Me, We, the foundational practice of an ally mindset is abundance and generosity. I need to see success not as a scarce resource, wherefore I therefore hoard talent and knowledge, but one of abundance where success comes in many guises. Because then when I see it, I am more likely to be generous with the coaching and mentoring I'm doing. But there's a downside. In my hardwired operating system of abundance and generosity, I can find myself saying yes to everything when, in fact, I should be a little bit more selective and saying no. So my seismic shift is learning to understand, well, what are my boundaries and how do I articulate those and how and when am I ready to flex them? Because nothing is ever set in stone. So that's my seismic shift. That's fantastic. I love it because you are so generous and you are so giving. And in order for you to be as happy as you can with your fabulous fiance and all of your friends and your three sons, you do have to learn how to say no and focus and prioritize on on what's best for you. So that's beautiful. Okay. So last question, and this is just for our leaders Thank you so much for tuning in. So what advice would you give them? So that, you know, they, I mean, you're so persuasive and smart and cool and, and they're thinking, okay, I want to be an ally. What can they do today to be a better ally at work? Well, first off, read You, Me, We and the Seismic Shift in Leadership. If you want to, some self-awareness, take our complimentary ally mindset profile. It's available at SkyTeam, S-K-Y-E team dot cloud forward slash You, Me, We. But the tips are look up, show up, step up. Look up. Pause on your hamster wheel of busy and ask yourself two questions. How do I feel in my own presence? Am I energized? Am I drained? Am I frustrated? Am I excited? And how do others feel in my presence? Excited or afraid, if we go back to our earlier conversation. So that's look up. Then you can make an intentional choice about show up. Where do I need to turn the dial up or down in this next meeting or conversation to make sure that we are energized, aligned and ready to move forward together? 
And then step up is simply, did I do my best? Did I know what I should be doing? Or did I drop the ball? In which case, it all starts again in that next meeting, that next conversation, or that next day. So look up, show up, step up, because the quality of our relationships is the key determinant to our success, our happiness, and our health. Boom, mic drop. My goodness, Morag Barrett, give it up. Thank you so much to all the listeners. Thank you, Morag, for taking time today. You are a seismic shifter, and I'm so grateful that I get to work with you um, and that you're my friend. Thank you for joining us on The Seismic Shift. And before you go, can I ask one favor of you? Do you mind sharing today's episode with a leader you know? The power of this conversation is found in your using it and sharing it to create real connection in your life. Lastly, I'd like to thank Loyola University, New Orleans and the Terra Firma audio team for helping bring this content to life.